As many of you already probably know that uh, one of our one of our very uh, uh, one of our famous uh, beauty spots in the Philippines exploded right uh, yesterday or probably early this morning this morning uh, Taal volcano and it I think I don't know if I, yeah that, I I was looking online can you go back to the slide I was looking online at these pictures and I asked Jimmy to put to give us just a picture of what it looked like when it exploded. And I, I understand those who were uh, in, uh, during the time of the explosion of Mount Pinatubo in, uh, in uh, that was 1990s, right? 1990 probably, huh? Yeah, yeah, around that time. Um, it probably looked the same as well, that there was this plume and, and all the ash and all the smoke and clouds and wind and thunder and lightning. It must have been, Maybe for those who were, who were in Mount Pinatubo, that was probably a very scary sight. And just imagine this as well. Looking at that, it reminds me of, of Moses, you know, when he met with God in, in, in Mount Sinai. Probably looks like that. Because the Bible describes that there was smoke, thunder, lightning, wind, storm, all together. And, and it's probably been even much, much more terrifying. When, when God showed up uh, with Moses. But le let's pray for those who are affected because this is not good. This is not going to, this is really bad. Uh, it's going to affect a lot of people around that area. We have a house close to that area. I know Oli has a house close to that place as well. You probably have family and friends close to that area. And, and one of the concerns is that those ash, it will, it will reach Manila. It will reach a lot of places in, that, in, in Luzon. And people who have... Uh, health issues is going to be a problem. Even if you're not going to be directly affected by the, the ash fall, but uh, when you're close to this, probably it's going to be worse. But I think we need to pray for this. And of course, you know what's going on in the world right now. Uh, the things that's happening, we've got, we got social media to tell us. So I don't really mention a lot of things about this. But uh, of course, Australia as well, right? There's so much death that's going on there among, among the animals. Um, you know, the Bible tells us that, that calamities, earthquakes, things that are bad from our perspective, it's going to get worse from then on, from moving forward. It's going to get worse. In fact, in fact the, the scripture already told us that that, that the frequency of earthquakes, the fre frequency of calamities is going to keep on increasing. And, you know, I don't know if you watch, if you've been looking at the, you know, uh, tracking of all the earthquakes that's happening around the world. It's, it shows that there is a continual increase in, in, in earthquakes, actually, based on actual data, scientific data. And, and also, what the Bible tells us that around the time of the end times, there will be increased persecution of Christians. And I don't know if you're, you're hearing this all over the news as well, that it's getting worse for Christians in pretty much every country in the world, every country, even in the United States, even here. We might, we might feel relaxed right now, but Christians are more and more being persecuted here. And eventually, eventually the government is going to be against us. Right now, it's not much yet, but it's going to come. It's going to come. And the thing is, we cannot, there's nothing we can do to stop this. There's nothing we can do to prevent this from happening. Because this is, 
This is part of God's agenda for the end times. And, and some people may say, oh, Al, you, you know, you, you, this has been discussed thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago. You know, Christians back then, they already believed that Jesus is coming again. Even 10,000 years ago, oh, sorry, 10,000, that's too much. 1,000 years ago, back in the 10th century, when the, on the turn of the millennium from the 10th century to the 11th century, the people back then thought that Jesus is going to return. They already expected Jesus' return. Now, now, you know that I'm not chicken little. I'm not the kind of person who would say, oh, the sky is falling. I'm not, not that kind of person. You know that I, am data, I want to be data-driven. And what's different about our time compared to any time of history? From, if you look at 2,000 years of history, what's different today is many of the, the prophetic signs that Scripture talks about has already happened. In, at least the initial prophetic signs has already happened. Nangyari na. And what are the, what are the initial prophetic signs in Scripture that, that the coming of Christ is coming near? What, 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 what was the, the biggest, one of the biggest ones in our, in our generation? The nation of Israel. Have you ever wondered, there's a nation called Israel? Are you surprised by it? Or, or some of you are going to say, oh, it's nothing, it's just a nation, it's just Israel. I don't know, if, you should be surprised. You should be amazed that there's a nation called Israel. Aren't you surprised by this? No. Reason why? Because you don't know the history of Israel. Israel was a civilization, was a nation that existed during the time of the Babylonians, during the time of Persians, during the time of the Sumerians, even uh, maybe Sumerians were much earlier. But I would say during the Greeks, during the Romans, they were there. And they're still here. They, they, they disappeared for a time. The nation of Israel just went off the face of the map for a time. But now they're back in, in the 1940s. That's when they became a nation once again. And did you know that the return of Israel to their land is one of the very first prophetic sign of the end times? It's one of the very first. You can read it about, if you read the entire Bible, you can read about this in, mostly in Ezekiel. Just, just give you one example, Ezekiel 36, 24. I don't know if I had it there. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 36, 24, it says, For I will take you from, your, from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. You know, it was God's plan from the beginning to, to give this land to the nation of Israel. And God brought his people back in 1948. How many of you, oh, I don't want to ask this, how many of you were born before that? <laughs> Probably some of you were born before that. I know my parents were born before 1948. Oh, 44. Yes. Fort, fort, 47. So you see, in our generation, we see this happen. The nation of Israel was reborn. That's a, that's a prophecy that has been given thousands of years ago in the book of Ezekiel. That's why for us Christians, that's why I want to talk about the gospel and repentance because we need to have more urgency in sharing the gospel because time is running out. I'm not talking again, I'm not talking like chicken little here. The Bible really tells us that time is going to run out for us. And time is going to run out for the people in the world. Time, time is going to run out for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors. 
It's going to run out one day. If you're not going to do anything, if we're not going to make an effort, then one day it will be too late. It will be too late. And in fact, the command for us Christians is to simply present the gospel. We don't even have to convince people. That's not our job. Maybe if you, you might want to try, but the convincing part is God's part. Our job is simply to present, to make this known, to let people know that this is what God is saying in his word. Present the gospel. And you know, I witness, I witness the power of, gospel, of the gospel in my own experience. This past year, God has given me the chance to share the gospel to a few people. And, and, and there was one instance where I just want to give one example. There was this guy, I just want to say his name is Ron. And he was a friend of, our, of one of our young adults. And I just happened to meet, uh, you know, he was going through some kind of struggle. And, and, um, and he wanted to meet with me. And so we met at a restaurant and talked. And he told me that he doesn't believe in God, that he has other beliefs and he has a different religion. And, and it started that way. That he doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God. He didn't believe in Jesus as Jesus that was a real person or, or the son of God or anything like that. And I kept listening to him for probably half of the time we were together. He was talking about, about himself. Then I, then I, then I didn't, then, I, then he stopped talking. And, you know, I didn't argue with him. I didn't talk about trying to rebuttal everything that he said. I just tell, told him the Bible is the word of God. The prophecies prove that Jesus, the Bible is really the word of God. And that God created the world. And God sent his son. Basically, I, I'm going to explain to you the gospel today. Basically, I explained the gospel. And in the end, he, he agreed to the gospel message. He accepted the gospel message. He accepted Christ. And I was surprised. I didn't even argue with him about everything else. But in the end, he accepted Christ. Then we let, we haven't, it was only one hour, maybe around 45 minutes the whole time I was with him. We haven't seen each other already after that. So I was trying to contact him, inviting him to church. He was busy. And, you know, then later on, a couple of weeks later, I, he called, we talked over the phone. He said, Pastor Al, I'm going to church now. <laughs> and, I, and he's involved in church. And he's trying to, he's, he's already growing in his faith. And said, wow, something just happened. Something just happened. God has just changed his heart. I, I just shared the gospel. He accepted Christ. Then haven't seen him. Then the next time I talk to him, he's already going to church. Not, not our church, but some other church. So gospel is powerful. It really changes people's lives. It changes hearts. And that's why we need to know the gospel by heart. And I pray that this year, this is our goal. This is our, let's, this, let this be our challenge to share the gospel to someone. I'm going to add this to our goal for this year, that you're going to share the gospel to someone. Not just part of the gospel message, the whole message of the gospel. Not just half of it, the whole message of the gospel. Let this be our, 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 our goal this year, a challenge for each of you this year. At least one person, at least one person. Share the gospel with at least one person. Okay, so let's talk about the gospel and repentance. So let's begin with this question. How does a person get saved? And by the way, uh, it's all in the program. My sermon is all in the program. There's an insert there. We changed the program a bit. So if you want to read about what our church is all about, there's uh, some writing there about what our church is all about. And also there's the list of all our life groups and our ministries. 
And our sermon is on that insert. So first question is, we want to answer is, how does a person get saved? You know, people often, often say, we often say that, uh, you know, being saved is being able to go to heaven and escaping hell. You know, that's a very common understanding, which is true. It's true. But we know that salvation or being saved is more than just going to heaven. It's more than just escaping hell. It is being in right relationship with God, being in relationship with God and becoming a child of God. I mean, that's what salvation is. It's more than just escaping hell. And how does one get, get saved? How does a person get saved? You know, a lot of people, they usually say, oh, I need to have more good deeds than bad. That's one, some people, that's what they say. Another, some people will say, oh, I need to fulfill all my religious work, religious duty. I need to do this to be saved. Or someone would say also, I need to be a member of this kind of religion or that kind of religion. You hear, that, you hear these things, people say, they say this. But the question is, are any of this the truth? Is this, are, are any of this thing that people say, is it, is, are this the truth? Or, one of the, are, or any of this the truth? So let's look at what the Bible says. What does God say when it comes to salvation? What, what, you know, how does a person get saved? Romans 1.16, it says here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, but it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles or the Greek, that's us. So, so the simple answer is, how does a person get saved? What's the, what's the simple answer based on that verse? It is simply belief in the gospel. Okay? So let me ask, let me, let, 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 let's say this together. How does a person get saved? It is belief in the gospel. You believe the gospel message. That's how a person gets saved. You're going to ask me, what does, how about believe in Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible clearly tells us, belief in the gospel. And Jesus Christ, of course, is the gospel. But the gospel has, has there's a story there. There's a message there. And we're going to talk about what the gospel is. You know, the word gospel, you probably know this already. It means good news. And, and, and we can say that the gospel is being offered from that passage. It says, it is it is. It is offered to everyone, not only to, um, it is offered to everyone who believes. Salvation to everyone who believes. So it tells us that the gospel is being offered to all people. It's offered to everyone, but only those who believe gain salvation. Okay? Gain salvation. The word gospel means good news because God did something for you. God did something on our behalf. That will bring you good. That will bring benefit to your life that you can never attain on your own. That you can never attain on your own effort. Sadly, today, there's, 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 it's still useful, but, but there's a, a self-centered kind of gospel presentation today that people share. They open start their, 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 the gospel with, hey, God has a plan for your life. Or God will give you blessings. Or God will give you a better life. You know, you hear this. Some people say that's how they start sharing the gospel. They will say, oh, God is going to bring good to your life. He's going to bring blessing to your life or, or make your life better. But this is really not how the Bible presents the gospel. 
Because the Bible, the, the Bible presents a gospel that is centered not on us. We are not the center of the gospel. The Bible presents a gospel that is God-centered. Gospel begins with God. And, and, and one of the things, and one of the a few of the attributes of God that, that's very uh, important for us to, to know is that God is good, that God is holy, and that God is just. God is holy, God is good, holy, and just. The gospel begins with God. It begins with who he is and what he, what he is, what God is and who he is. Now, let me just explain some of those words. You probably understand goodness. But for instance, holy. Holy means sin and sinners cannot exist in God's presence. Sin and sinners cannot exist in God's presence. Justice there means that God cannot ignore sin and he will judge and punish sinners. That's really, and that's the nature of God. That's the nature of God. You know, that God is, can, he cannot change himself. You know, a lot of people say, oh, is there something that God cannot do? Yes, there's a lot of things that God cannot do. He cannot change himself. There's another thing that God cannot do. He cannot improve. Did you know that God cannot improve himself? He cannot make himself better. Right? Why? Because God is perfect. Can you improve perfection? <laughs> no. So there are things that God, can, that, that God cannot change. He, cannot, he, he is perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. And the justice of God that he, he says he will judge and punish sin. Okay, this is one of those books that Ariel mentioned earlier. That's Habakkuk. <laughs> you finally see a verse from Habakkuk. I think I haven't really given a verse from Habakkuk. In my sermon. <laughs> you know, Habakkuk 1.13 talks about God's justice. This is talking about God. He said, your eyes, of course, referring to God. You are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate long, wrongdoing. Our God, the God we worship, cannot tolerate sin. Cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He cannot do that. He can't do that. You know, we as humans, we can, right? I can be forgiving for Carlo. I can say, if Carlo does something bad, I can say, okay, pakawalan mo lang, pakawalan ko lang, Carlo. Okay lang, I forgive you. Pakawalan ko lang yung ginawa mo. I'll just forget about it. Did you know that God cannot do that? Hindi niya pwede pakawalan yung mga ginagawa natin? He can't. Because He is perfectly just. And, and, and the Bible tells us that God is good. Right? We agree to that. God is good. You know, someone said, and I like what this guy said, this pastor said, that the scariest and the most terrifying thing in the universe, you know what it is? Is that God is good. Did you know that the goodness of God is scary to us? It's terrifying to us. It's very terrifying. Why? Why? Because God is good and we are not. It's terrifying because God is good and we are not. 
In fact, I want to show you some verses. If you don't agree with me, if you feel that you are a good person, and you know, whenever you share your gospel, the gospel, the person needs to understand that he is not a good person. You need to come to, a, he needs to come to a point to know that he knows that he is not a good person. Because there is this idea in this world that people are good, that people are okay, that people are good people. This is what the people in the world think. That it is society that makes people evil. But the Bible clearly tells us who is evil in this world. It is us. Who is wicked in this world? It is us. And in fact, the Bible says, and, and if you don't believe me in this, I'm going to show you some verses. There's not a single good person in this world. There is not even a single good person in this world. This is what Jesus said. Jesus in Luke uh, 18:19 he said no one is good except God no one is good except God again another verse psalm for instance he says there there is none who does good not even one wow that's an indictment against us so even mother teresa in the eyes of god is evil she's an evil wicked person in the eyes of mother of god a lot of people say she's a good person, but she's not in the eyes of God. In fact, there's a verse in Psalm, I, I didn't have it here, that says that the good things that wicked people do are cruel in the eyes of God. Meaning if, if you are a wicked person, a person that's sinful in your heart, even if you're caring to your children and loving your children and, and, and taking children to school, feeding your kids, that act is still evil in the eyes of God. That's how... That's the difference between us and God. Because we in this world, we don't know what good is. We really, we really don't know what good is. That's lost in our language. That's lost in our imagination and even in our thinking. We don't know what good is. We think that trying to be kind to someone is a good thing. Well, is that good? We don't know. Because we don't know. We got that. That's got. We got lost. It got lost because of our sin. Our minds, our hearts has been clouded, and and if you're gonna believe this passage, we should we should not even call any person good. If you really believe this passage, I'll give you some examples here as well. What if you say, "Al, I don't believe your message. I'm a good person." I'm, I don't have any sin. I didn't do anything bad. You know what God is telling you in this passage, 1 John 1, 1.8? If we say we have no sin, sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Basically, when you say that you don't have sin, you're actually telling God, God, you're a liar, and you're telling yourself, and you are a liar as well. If you say we don't have any sin, we are lying. And we are telling God, God, you are also a liar. That's why we have to admit our sin. We have to admit that we are sinners. And the people you share the gospel has to come to a point that he needs to understand and know that he is a sinner. Because if a person does not recognize his sinfulness, he's not ready for the gospel. He's not ready to accept Jesus Christ. A person cannot be saved, not unless he understands that he is a sinner and he is destined for destruction, destined for condemnation. He needs to come to that point. 
For instance, look at Jesus, what he, sa- what he says in, in Matthew. I'm, I don't have the verses there. It's on, on your notes, but it's not going to be on screen. You know, have you ever burned in anger against someone? Have you ever hated someone? In your mind only. You know what did, what did Jesus say about it? It's equivalent to murder. A, people, a person who killed 100 people and is in prison right now, and you simply hated your brother and really hated him and really super angry with this brother that you wanted to strangle this person, you're no different than a serial killer. In God's eyes, you're the same. You're as bad as a serial killer. For instance, Jesus said, if you look, up, look at a person lustfully who is not your spouse, by the way, there's a good use for lust, which is used in marriage. But if the person is not your spouse, is not your husband or wife, and you lust after that person, even in your mind, even in your heart, you are an adulterer. That's what Jesus said. Now, how many of you ever lied? Oh, I always I'm not proud of, of, of it. I'm not proud of my sin. I know that I am weak and I'm sinful as well, just like all of us. And I lied in the past, or probably this week. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Lord. Even if you only committed the sin of lying, even that's, if you say you're, you're so proud and say, I'll, I'm a good person because the only thing I did in my life is that I lied and I was only four years old when I did it. Okay? Okay, what does scripture say? Okay, I hope I have that verse here. Imagine this passage when you come across this. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Whoa. Even if you lied, but you committed lying, you already committed murder, adultery, blasphemy, taking the Lord's name in vain, covetousness, um, failing the Sabbath, or think about the Ten Commandments. You failed all the Ten Commandments and all the laws of God. The thing is, there's really, wala tayong bout sa Panginoon. We don't have, ma- we cannot match with God and what He expects of us. We, there's no match. Because God's expectation is perfection. That's what He wants. That's that's what He wants for each of you. He wants you to be 100% pure, 100% perfect. But can we do that? Can we come to that level? No. Not even in a billion, billion years, we will never be able to be perfect. Even how much you try, never. So the question for us, Now that you know that you're a sinner, I hope you all agree to this now, that you are a sinner. And when you share the gospel, it has to come to this point first, that they understand that I am a sinner and I am hopeless and I cannot do anything about my sinful situation. I cannot be religious enough. I cannot be good enough. And so here's the situation. God is good and we are not. What is God going to do to you? What is God going to do to us? He is good and we are not. What is God going to do to us? If nothing is going to be done, if nothing is going to be done by God or us, or, or, or you're just going to say status quo. 
I'm not going to do anything. God is not going to do anything. Nothing is going to be done. What's going to happen? By default, we are already condemned. You are on your way for, to judgment and the Bible calls that judgment hell. Because God is perfect and if, if no one is going to live with him, who is, if no, no imperfect or sinful person is going to be able to live with him, then where are you going to be living in the afterlife or after this time? You're going to be away from God. You're going to be separated from God. And that place where you're going to be separated from God is what the Bible calls hell. But, but, but I want you to think bigger. Think bigger. Who is the source of goodness in this universe and in, in heaven and earth and both in the physical and the spiritual realm? Who is the source of goodness? God. Who is the source of love? God. Who is the source of all beauty? God. Who is the source of all the most beautiful, amazing, greatest things in this world? It's still God. Now what if you're not in the presence of God at all? There's zero love. No beauty, no goodness, because you're not anymore in the presence of God. The amazing thing about this world, God is still working here. That's, you agree to that? God is at work in this world. That's why there's still some semblance of goodness, beauty, you know, goodness in this world, because God is still working here. But, but, but when time comes, when you go to a place that does not have a, a single presence, a single drop of God's presence... It's going to be a place with no beauty, zero love, zero goodness. It's going to be the ugliest, most terrifying place in the universe, wherever it is. And you don't want to be a place where there's zero love. Earth is still very nice. Even the worst things in this world, it's still very nice. It's very good. It's still beauty. Even the worst things, even the worst prisons in this world, there's still a lot of good there. But hell, there's none. Can you imagine a place there's zero beauty, zero goodness, zero love? You don't want to be there. And that's your destiny. That's where we are going to go if nothing is going to be done about us, about our situation. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us that you are already condemned. In, in, in John chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, right? 17, 18. You can read that there. John chapter 3, 16, 17, 18. Just read that, that, that passage. You are already condemned. Parang we're already on, on. That's the default situation of hum, the human race. We're on the road to this destiny. Every person in the world is on the road to this destination. Condemnation. If nothing is going to be done. If God is not going to do anything. Now, here's the thing. You might ask this question. Somebody might ask you this question as well. Some people might say, Lord, why can't you just pardon and ignore all my sins? Panginoon, pwede ba kalimutan mo na yung kasalanan ko? Ignore mo na yung kasalanan ko? Just, just ignore? Can God ignore your sin? No. Why? Because if God just ignores your sin and simply pardons your sin, He is no longer just. He's not a just God anymore. It's like a judge who, who simply let go of a, of a proven serial killer or something. That's injustice. You will just let go of a criminal? Proven a criminal? That's injustice. You, God will not let go of you. 
uh, you know, he will, he, will not, he, will not, he will not ignore your, your sin. What about this question? So, some people will ask this question, maybe ask this question, why can't the Lord just simply love me, accept me? You know, you notice there's a lot of pictures of Jesus in, 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 in you know, I, I know you've probably seen pictures of Jesus. And you have a picture of Jesus like, like this. That's not the image of Jesus, by the way. Don't believe that that's a picture of Jesus. That's not, the, that's not what the Jesus of the Bible is. And I, I, and, and I don't want to say who that person really is. You know that long hair guy with long beard and very smooth face and he usually opens his arms. And there's a heart in between, like there. And Let me tell you, that's not Jesus. That's not the image of Jesus. That's why if you have pictures like that at home, yung mga long hair a person with beard, if you can throw that away, you throw that away. Because that's actually the image of Satan. That's a devil. It's a long story, but I can tell you why. It's a long story. Because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the kind of person who's soft, who's weak. He's not effeminate. Or something. That's why a lot of Christians boycott Netflix, right? Because there's a show now in Netflix that, that makes Jesus a, a, a gay person. But the Jesus of the Bible is not soft. He's not that kind of person. In fact, some people said, Jesus, I want to come with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, foxes have holes. You know, birds have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. If you want to follow me, you need to, sacri to sacrifice. There are some sacrifices going to come to me. Imagine. Today people think, put, a, put out a Jesus, this very hippie, hippie kind of Jesus. But the Bible, Jesus, he has requirements. In fact, people, many wanted to come to him. But said, if you're not ready to, to do these kinds of things, willing to sacrifice your life for me, you're not ready for me. You're not able to follow me. He makes it hard, actually. <laughs> He makes it hard for people to follow him. If you read scriptures, if you read the gospels, if God simply accepts you in your current condition, God is not anymore a holy God. Kasi makasalanan ka din, nandun ka kasama sa Panginoon. What does make, make ikaw, kung meron kang barkada na, na ano to, notorious, uh, bad, personality, bad character. If you hang out with that person all the time, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to him? Oh, you're going to be both the same eventually. It's not a good situation, right? If you hang out with a person who, is a who has a bad reputation, chances are, or if you're a good person and so someone with a bad reputation hangs out with you all the time, your reputation will be affected, definitely. How much more for God, right? A sinner hanging out with him cannot happen. So question is, so how will a just God pardon a sinner like us? How will a holy God accept a sinner like us? Paano gawin ng Panginoon to? This is the situation now. There's a holy God. Holy God. How does this holy God accept a wicked sinner to himself? Paano yung gawin to? How will a just God pardon a sinner like us. 
without condoning, without ignoring your sin. How will God do that? Of course, we know the answer. The answer to this. Okay, how would, what would God, holy God just do to sinners like us? Oh, sorry. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. All of this is found in Jesus Christ. Let me go through this then. I'm going to talk about repentance because I want you to understand this fully. In Christ, all the nature, all the expectations of God, all the, all the, na- all the aspects of God's nature has been revealed. Meaning God sir, expects certain kinds of things. And he, 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 he reveals himself in, di- in different ways. We know that he is good. We know that he is holy. We know that he is just. This is revealed in Jesus Christ. God's love is revealed when God became man. That is, a, when, when God, the Son, became a human being, that was a revelation of God's love. You're going to ask the question, okay, how, 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 how? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It's clear that the giving of Jesus Christ was an expression of God's love. You know why? Because Jesus was hidden. He was protected. He was with the Father for all eternity. He kept him hidden. He loved him so much that he doesn't want anything to happen to his son. Parang mga anak yun na ayaw niyo dapuan ng langaw or something. But but it's more than that. Jesus, God the Father loved his son so much. And for him to let go of his son into this world is going to kill him. How would you feel about that? How would God... What would God be going through? It's a sacrifice on his part to let go of his son that he loves so much and giving it to the world who's just going to reject him. Imagine in the Old Testament, Jesus was hidden. No one knew. No one knew that God had a son. You notice that? No one knew. And for God to just give his son, that's a huge, just, 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 even if you don't consider your crucifixion, if you don't consider the death of Jesus and the rejection that Jesus faced, the mere fact that God gave his son is a big sacrifice for this father. It's a big sacrifice. Think, oh, just imagine if you're a parent with a son in the military and you're sending him to Iraq or to the war zone. Think of the sacrifice that you're going to do. You love your son so much. But you love, maybe you love freedom more. You love the country more. Do, do you, want, you, know, you want to honor the, 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 the causes of this country that you're willing to give your son? Well, do you love your son so much? It's a tremendous sacrifice on the father's part to give his son. That's why in, 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 a, in, 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 in Psalms, David just said this passage. It's in your notes as well. David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, we are so insignificant in God's sight, yet he is mindful of us. Pinapansin tayo ng Panginoon. And not only that, in that passage, he says that you would give your son. That you would give your son. That the coming of Jesus is a revelation of, of God's love. Secondly, the, the, the life of Jesus is a revelation of God's holiness. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, yet he is without sin. And then he was crucified. 
on a Roman cross. And on that cross, all the sins were imputed on Christ, were put on Christ, were cast on Christ. Lahat ng kasalanan ng lahat ng tao, every sin that ever was committed since the beginning of time, since Adam, until the end of human history, we're not just talking about your sins right now. Every sin from the beginning of time till the end of time has been put on Christ on that cross. It's all placed on Him. Even the sins that you're going to do 100 years from now, if you're going to live 100 years from now, it's still already put on Christ on the cross. In fact, there's a passage, and, and, and it's in your notes again. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who has no sin. I don't have it here. Okay, that's okay. The Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him he might become, we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning, wala siyang kasalanan, but God made him sinful for our sake. He made, he, God put our sins on him. He had no sin. But he was made sin for our sake. And this is where we're going to see the justice of God. The justice of God is revealed in the horrific death of Christ on the cross. You know, the movies doesn't do justice. I know Mel Gibson tried to do portray, portray how, hor how horrible the death of Christ on the cross. But it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's, it's probably still not accurate. It was probably even worse. How do I know? Isaiah. Isaiah 52.14. Listen to what Isaiah said about, the, about the, the, the sacrifice of God's son. His appearance was so disfigured beyond any human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness. Ganun kagrabe ang torture na ginawa sa kanya. The torture was so extreme that... He didn't look like a human being anymore. <sighs> Can you imagine someone being tortured to the point that doesn't look like a human being? <sighs> I don't want to imagine what that looks like. He was badly, badly disfigured. And let me ask you, let me ask you why did God do this to his son? Why was the image so gruesome, so terrifying, so beyond human imagination that it was marred beyond human likeness? Why did God do this? Hmm? Of course, because he loves us. But because it's a revelation of his justice. You know why? God is so angry over our sin. That his entire anger, the Bible uses the word wrath, that he just poured it on his son. This is the fullness of God's anger. This fullness of his God's judgment. Bang! Poured it on his son. His anger, that was his wrath, his judgment, that was supposed to go to you. He just poured it all on his son. And the gruesome death of Christ on the cross is a revelation of God's judgment. It is judgment against sin. It's God's wrath on full display. Ganun kagalit ang Panginoon sa kasalanan. And He just poured His anger 
his wrath over his one and only son that he loves so much. It's going to be hard. Think, think of your situation if you're going to punish your son. But this is an extreme punishment that, that you cannot even imagine. Paluin lang yung anak nyo. Nasasaktan na kayo, di ba? You feel hurt when you hit your, or, or, you know, spank your child. Imagine the situation for the father to do this, to allow this to his son. And the Bible tells us that Jesus took the full measure of, of your sins and the sins of the world. He, he fully satisfied God just, God's justice. And the Bible tells us that for the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sins was already paid for by Jesus Christ. Binayara na niya. And the Bible says that Jesus did not remain dead. After three days, he rose again from the grave. And we know now that he is alive. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is the message, this is the gospel. That Jesus paid for your sins. He died for your sake. That's why we are now able to come to God. Because someone else took our punishment. Our, we had a debt and someone else paid our debt. Meron tayong utang, someone nagbayad, ibang tao nagbayad ng utang natin. Gusto natin yan, di ba? Mga credit cards natin. I don't want to think about it. And the Bible tells us in John 14, let me just go to these two verses. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Meaning there's only one way, one path back to God. The Bible also says, uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to me. My time is almost running out, but let me try to finish this. In order for you to be saved, God is a requirement. You know, we know that we need to believe. But there is also what we call repentance. And I'm going to explain repentance because I, this is very, very important also. We are to repent and believe. If you're going to ask me, Al, where, does it, where is it in the Bible that says that we need to repent and believe? It was Jesus who said these words. In, in Mark 1.15, he said that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying these words. He said... We are to repent and believe in what? The gospel. We are to repent and believe the gospel. Okay? Let me say this. It's only belief in the gospel that brings salvation. We already read about it in, one, in, in uh, Romans 1.16. It's only belief in the gospel that brings salvation. But repentance... Allows you to understand the gospel. Allows you to see the gospel. Because without repentance, you will not be able to appreciate the gospel. Because there's one thing that repentance does in a person's heart. It makes a person humble. It makes a person humble. And you need to have a humble heart to be able to see and understand the gospel. Remember John the Baptist, he said, uh, his mission statement says that, 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 that the mission of John the Baptist is to make every mountain low, every, every valley field, every crooked way uh, straight and a rough way smooth 
And after this has happened, meaning yung mountain, na bagsak mo na, yung, yung na-feel mo yung valley, yung liko-liko, na-straight mo siya. After this happened, only then people will be able to see the salvation of the Lord. That entire imagery talks about humility. There's a, your heart needs to be humble first before you're able to understand and appreciate the gospel. Now, now the word repentance simply means change of mind. That's really what the Greek says there. Change one's mind. However, to repent is more than just changing your mind. Because remember, your mind controls everything. Your mind controls your choices that you make, controls your emotions. Your mind controls what you say, what you do. Your mind controls your ambitions, your passions, what you, how you relate to others. So mind really affects every aspect of your life. So when Bible says repentance is a change of mind, what it really is saying is that if you change your mind, if you change your thinking, it will affect every aspect, every area of your life. It will basically change your life. You agree to this? When you change your thinking, when you change your mind, it will change your life. It will change every area of your life. Now you might be thinking, oh, it's, I, it's just a mental thing. How will it change my life? I'm going to give you an example, and I'm going to talk about the Apostle Paul, and we're going to end in this. That's why we read the story of the Apostle Paul earlier, because this perfectly illustrates repentance, uh, the, the story of Apostle Paul. Now, who among you heard of Apostle Paul or know of the Apostle Paul? At least from the Bible, not personally. <laughs> I haven't seen him yet. <laughs> Maybe in heaven or in the Bible. Okay, some of you know him. He's a Pharisee, right? And, 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 and. He was a Jewish leader, and, and we know that he is, he is being supported probably by the Sanhedrin. He passionately persecuted Christians. In fact, the Bible describes him uh, as someone who breathes murderous threats against Christians, meaning he was intending to murder Christians, kill Christians. Uh, in fact, he dragged the followers of Christ to prison, dragged them to their death. He was the one who instigated. He was the guy behind the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And he went to other countries to look for Christians so he can imprison them and he can, you know, murder them or destroy them. But his, he was committed on destroying Christianity. That's what we know about Apostle Paul. He's committed on exterminating Christianity. Now let me ask you, why did Paul do all this? Why? Why did Paul do this? Because of his thinking. You know what? Here's, here's what he, this is what Paul thought. Paul thought that Jesus was a fraud. Paul thought that Jesus was an imposter. That's what, that's what, that's what Paul thought. Paul thought that the Christianity was a cult. You know, akalanya cult and Christianity. Paul thought that Christians are apostates against the Jewish faith. You know, isip talaga niya si Jesus, kanto, fake. Uh, uh, cult leader, imposter, and of course Paul was a zealous as Jew. He wants to stop this. Kasi sino mong may gusto sa may kulto, di ba? Who wants to have, see, have a cult and who, who wants to have a, a fraud, fraudulent leader? Then, on the way to Damascus, Paul, you know, this was in Syria, and he, when he was about to arrest more Christians, Jesus appeared to him from heaven. He saw Jesus from heaven. And Jesus told Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus, and Paul said, 
who are you, Lord? Uh, you know, he was, you realize, wow, this is Jesus. And he is Lord. And this is the Messiah. And at that very moment, Paul knew, saw, seen, and knew that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. At that very moment, he knew that the Christians were really the people of God. At that very moment, Paul knew in his mind that he was not he was actually fighting against God. He knew in his mind that he was on the wrong side of the battle. He knew in his mind that he was wrong. That everything that, 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 that this person that I saw, this is the Messiah. And, and you know, to say that this was a humbling experience for the Apostle Paul is probably an understatement. Imagine this person, you know, all his life since he was a childhood... He had a different kind of belief. But at this very moment, everything he believed was proven wrong. His, everything that he thought was proven wrong. Everything that he, he, he thought about Jesus, about the, this Christians, and they were all wrong. He realized that he was wrong. And what happened to Paul? When he realized that Jesus is really the Christ... That these Christians are really the people of God? What happened to his life? It changed. To repent means, you know, in the case of Paul, in the case of Paul, because of his repentance, he now preaches the gospel. The gospel that he once despised, the people that he once persecuted, now he became one of those people. The Messiah that he thought was a fraud, now he worshiped. Now he was a follower of Christ and he was willing to die for what he knows and believes. That is the image of repentance. Do you imagine? It was just a change in thinking, right? It's just a change in thinking. And it had sig significant impact in his life. In your case, when you rep our repentance means that we need to change our thinking about what we believe. Maybe in, for, for a long time you believe that your former religion brought you salvation. Now you need to believe that that is wrong. Maybe in the past you believe that your goodness is going to help you go to heaven. Now that needs to change. You need to believe that that is wrong. And it takes humility. It takes humility to change that thinking. And now you need to embrace what the Bible reveals, what the Word of God reveals to you. And what the Bible says, that Jesus paid for your sins through his death on the cross, a death that you can never pay for yourself. He did it for you. And we must embrace that Jesus did not remain from the dead. And we must embrace this truth that he rose again. And he is with, with the Father in heaven. He is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we need to embrace the truth that you need to surrender your life to him. You need to pledge your allegiance to him. He needs to be your Lord and Savior. Your King. Your King. He is my King. And I know he's King to many of you. But if there's anyone here who is not yet a subject of Jesus Christ. 
a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to surrender your life. Because if you are not yet, you have not surrendered your life to Christ, let me say this. Even, how, if, you, even if you read the Bible a thousand times, even if you come to church every Sunday, even if you pray every night, but if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, you're still heading to hell. And you're not yet a child of God. Even if you were baptized already. By the way, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It is really your heart surrendered to Christ. Saying, Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Forgive me for all my sins and help me to live according to your will. It's just a simple thing that God is asking us. I shared this with a young adult last week. Just like that thief on the cross. All he said was, Jesus, remember me. When you will return to your kingdom. Remember that thief? And what Jesus said? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's really what Jesus is asking from us. Surrender your life to him. That's what the thief did. 